Well, live is on Facebook, apparently the case. Oh, here we are. September the 29th, 2019, lecture number 77 on the book of Joel. I'm starting out today because I have so many letters and I'm trying to knock them out a little bit if I can. Some of them are amazing and one of them particularly applies today, so I couldn't leave it out. I get real letters, real letters, not fake letters that I make up and write and pretend they're mine, but actually real ones. This one is amazing because she, uh, this is my favorite person in all of Ohio, Joni. She sent me badges, wrestling badges, because as you know, my dream is since I have to lose all this weight is to go back to high school and wrestle at 178. I'm not that close, but I'm making progress. She sent me wrestling uh, pins so that I can put them on my well, apparently I'm going to win a letter and have a jacket and go all the way, regress completely into puberty. That'll be great. <laughs> but I just, it just cracks me up. She's so funny, amazingly funny. And uh, she sent these to me. And I plan on having them adorn me as soon as I make weight. I used to have to struggle to make weight. In fact, that was one of the issues I had is that uh, I wanted to wrestle in the 180s. They wanted me to wrestle in the 160s. And so we were unreconcilable, even though I was pretty uh, uh, able to uh, prevail. Okay, more letters. This one uh, comes from Susan from Bakersfield. I'm pretty confident it's Bakersfield. It is. Pastor Steve, I have a phone story that uh, you might enjoy since you're a large part of it. My two-year-old grandson was invited to a birthday party, so I went to the Dollar Tree to get a gift bag and a card. That's exactly where we would go to get presents for the grandchildren. If there were a Dollar Tree in Alaska, there would be, what, a hundred Dollar Tree from I was looking at cards, and all of a sudden, this loud and very familiar voice came shouting out of my purse like a trumpet blast. Behold, I am coming quickly. My phone was up to maximum volume because I don't hear as well as I used to, probably probably because I listen to my music too loud. Do you know how loud you say, behold? <laughs> I do it on purpose, obviously, that's the point. I'm not learned when it comes to my phone. My kids tell me it's painful to watch me use it. That's exactly. We don't let the kids see us do this, especially me. With you shouting at me, the man standing next to me refused to make eye contact. That, that, that is exactly my impact on almost everyone I meet. Uh, that's not unusual. I got the giggles and stood there laughing as I pushed every button on my phone. I'm sure the whole store heard you shouting, Behold, I am coming quickly. That's amazing because remember Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, another behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to, into him and dine with him and him and he with me. I was waiting for someone from several aisles over to say, Amen. <laughs> but no one said a word and no one looked at the crazy woman who couldn't quit, who couldn't quit, quit. Gosh, it's happening to me. And no one looked at the crazy woman who couldn't quit laughing and who couldn't turn off her phone. I'm sure some of them found it painful. 
Well, that's the plan. And I, I try to make it as painful as I can, you know. Way to go, Pastor Steve, sharing the gospel in the Dollar Tree in Bakersfield. That's about as close to omnipresent as you will ever get. Thanks for making a horrid errand more fun. Susan, that was fantastic, and we all just cried. Here's another one. Uh, Kier rhymes with deer. It says so right here. Kier rhymes with deer. My mom, Joni. So I got letters from the mom and the daughter in the same week. And I don't know if they communicate, but it's really quite precious. My mom, mom, Joni, led me to your sermons, and I wanted you to know how invaluable they've been to me in the dark season I'm going through. I won't tell you, I won't read the rest of this, but it's a very sad thing. That part of it, I'll move along. Tears well up in my eyes as I write this, but I thought you would like to know your sermons, especially on quantum mechanics, discussing Isaac Newton versus naysayer Einstein, and how non-locality and quantum entanglement proves the resurrection that Christ is God, I think I understand about 0.07%, and I've watched it three times. Only three times. But nonetheless, it encouraged me to see how vast Christ is and question what reality really is. I get caught up in wanting what I want because it's in front of me, but I was reminded that physicalism will fade to black and the unseen will become reality and forever. That was a huge gut check in a good way. So this may not have been the intention of your sermon, but the philosophical questions that surfaced made everything clear. Is this the first time someone wrote you that? Your sermon made everything clear? I think so. If not, it's one of the two times. Obviously not the content. <laughs> oh, darn. Um, because we will never understand the Bible completely, but at least his promises and truth came to light. Thank you so much for your teachings. You're truly one of a kind. I get that a lot. Uh, Kier rhymes with dear. By the way, you say that your voice has the ability to lull children to sleep. Well, the same is true for adults. I know this every Sunday. You've been with me every single night speaking truth, and since there's such wisdom the enemy doesn't want me to hear, I drift off within minutes. <laughs> That's probably not the reason. Kier rhymes with dear. Praying for your health as well. You're such a wealth of knowledge. Blessings on your day. So that was very sweet. And then, here's the one that actually uh, has application for today's lecture. Let me uh, move this out of the way because it's going to interfere with my housekeeping. Pastor Steve, I'm glad to see you're standing and still pressing in. Our Father is merciful. The world is a much better place with you in it. I, for one, would miss you greatly. Well, thank you, uh, Delmar. You are a unique teacher. You always seem to ask the right questions. The Holy Spirit works through you in such a way that only a believer seeking the truth would sift through the various avenues in which you approach Scripture. You rightly see God in every aspect of life. That's why I read this part, because that's what we're doing today. You truly find Jesus Christ on every page in Scripture. I was weird before I came to Cliffside, but Cliffside has done nothing to change that. In fact, if Cliffside has any effect on me, it only helped me seal my weirdness. 
Okay? But I wanted to say what he said there, because this is the plan today. Finding the Bible in everything. Because if it is written by the Creator, it will be in everything. Everything. He also sent me books. Uh, the Numerology and the Prophecies of Abraham. Now, I don't know this particular author, but uh, I, uh, I'm always interested in other people's opinions, especially if they're contrary. That seems odd, but that's true. Okay. By the fortune luck of the 2019 calendar, today is what? It's Rosh Hashanah. Okay? The feast days of the silver trumpet. Note that there is no feast days of the silver banjo. Just want to say. But no, today is the feast day of the silver trumpet and the ram's horn. Both of those horns are involved in Rosh Hashanah. And so now we're, uh, the 10 day period then begins today because it, I could write it, but I don't really have room. Obviously, I've got things to do as we go along. So uh, hopefully this will make sense to you with me just saying it. Trumpets, the feast day of trumpets starts the 10 days or the holy, high holy days or the days of awe. Uh, so, um, that's how, that's the 10 day period that we're in, and it started again with today. And the Sabbath that comes in these 10 days, or six days from today, is called the uh, Shabbat Suvah, or the Sabbath of the Return. So we have a Sabbath of the Return. We have a high holy day in the Feast Day of Trumpets, and then we have 10 days. Inside of that 10 days will be a weekly Sabbath. That is the Sabbath of Return. And then, of course, it concludes with Yom Kippur. And five days following Yom Kippur is the feast days, a feast of dwellings or booths or tabernacles, which has a seven-day duration. So what we're in right now is trumpets, Sabbath of return, Yom Kippur, atonement. They say it differently than I do, but that's how I've always heard it, and so that's how I do it. I hear Kippur a lot. And then we have tabernacles, booths, Sukkot. So that's what we're doing for the next ten days. This one's pretty darn important, wouldn't you say? This, the, the Sabbath of return. So is most, well, we'll get into this in a moment. Most people look at trumpets. They never notice the Sabbath of return. So obviously the feast day of Sukkot is deeply connected to ex- Exodus 25. Because it's tabernacles, right? Exodus 25 is where we have the tabernacle of Moses constructed and, and placed into uh, positions. The construction of the tabernacle of Moses is Exodus 25. That's the dwelling place of the I am from the burning bush. And Christ says that he is that I am in John 8.24, 8.58. He is the I am of Exodus 3.14, if I have that correct. I think it's 3.14. So Christ is in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, Exodus 25, and that's tied to this feast day of tabernacles. They fit together. 
The point being, yea, a point on the first page. Right there, a point on the first page. That's amazing. I'm getting better at this. Is that these three feast days, the point is, is that these three feast days, trumpet, uh, atonement, and tabernacles, have not been prophetically fulfilled. They are prophetically unfulfilled. Oh, oh. Can, uh, the, is that for the kids that are trying to say hi? Probably. Baby shark. That's where we learn baby shark. Hi, Aubrey. Hi, Caleb. Hi, Cody. Now, I heard you say, hi, Grandpa. It was through a translator, but I heard it. That's very funny. And I would watch them now. I get up here. You remember she used to run up here and grab me in the middle, and now she's watching us. And uh, they pretend to like us a lot. So that's helpful come Christmas and birthday time. I mean, anyway, it's really special. When I say that these have been prophetically unfulfilled, what I mean by that is that Passover was fulfilled by the death of Christ. He made certain that he would use this day, Passover, that he established. He would uh, facilitate his death. He would give up his life because only he can take his own life. And he did that on Passover. Unleavened bread was the time in which he made sure he was entombed. And first fruits was the day of his resurrection. So those feast days have been fulfilled. We know why they're there and we know what he intended to do with them. Pentecost has been fulfilled as well because that is his ascension and the descension. Proverbs 30, John 3, Genesis 28, the ascension and the descension. So he ascends and the, de- and the Holy Spirit descends. So that has been fulfilled. But so far to this day, trumpets, atonements, and tabernacles have no correspondence to Christ in that he has yet to assign them to an action of great consequence or significance with respect to himself. He's going to do something on these days just as he did something on the previous four. There's only three remaining. He's nailed the first four. What's the chances he also comes around and finishes this off since he is the beginning and the end and the finisher, right? So anyway, the fact that they are unfulfilled has led to much debate amongst the religious professionals who are handsomely compensated to debate. So they debate. It is a debating society, religious professionalism. Usually they debate with buy my book, publications. I get so tired of that. I get so tired of hearing buy my book. Can you say something to me without saying buy my book? Apparently it's very difficult. But it's constant. Television seems to be the only purpose of the talk shows is to sell books. There must be a great deal of money in it. Someone should write a book. Yes, I'm looking at you. How how close are you? 85%. It'll be a magnificent. It'll actually have value besides what we normally see. Ah, But anyway, a consensus has been mostly achieved, and it goes something like this. And keep in mind that the first Adam and the last Adam will have the same template. And I know that. I hope you know that. Romans 5, 15, Genesis 3. It's therefore incumbent for the theorists who have these positions on these feast days to have coherence.
transparency with respect to Adam and Christ. In other words, what happened on on uh, uh, Passover, unleavened bread, and uh, excuse me. And first fruits is going to have a relationship to Adam and Christ, just as it will have, just as trumpets and, and, uh, my gosh. I had a bad night last night, didn't I, dear? Yeah. Just as trumpets, Yom Kippur and, Tabernacles will have a relationship to Christ. My heart rate went up to almost 130 last night, and I have hardly any sleep today, and that's led to a little bit of difficulty. And I'm deviating, so that also causes me problems. My point being is that you're going to find Adam in, in the first four feast days, and you're going to find Adam in the final three. He's going to fit in there. That means Genesis 3. You'll find Adam in these seven feast days. And of course you're going to find Christ in them. But Adam is the last Adam. I'm sorry. Adam is the first Adam. Christ is the last Adam. They're going to have a relationship, Romans 5.15. So keep that in mind when you're looking at this. So where was I? The accepted position or the collaborative states that the trumpets, the feast day of trumpets, will be the abduction of the bride. So Christ will use trumpets to come and abduct his bride. Now, that's why I brought up the Shabbat return or the Sabbath return that's inside of the 10 days of awe, because that's also a possibility. But as you know, you might know this. I hope you do know this. The, is the Israel position or the rabbinical position is that trumpets is the birthday, the day that Adam was created. And it is the birthday of Christ. They would follow each other, would they not? If Adam was in fact created on trumpets, then Christ would make sure that his birth date would be trumpets. That would be today, it would be September 29th, as opposed to what day? That's right, December 25th, which is the solstice, which could, as you've heard me say many times, could be the incarnation or the hovering of the Holy Spirit. But this is the birth date uh, traditionally in, in rabbinical circles, orthodox, uh, uh, the orthodox position is that trumpets is the day that Adam was created. So my point being is that you will see this. Okay, I finally figured out what's wrong with me. I have a floater in my eye and I cannot see. And it goes away eventually. Right now, it's right dead center in my vision. And I finally see why I can't see anything. I'm looking at the board. I'm going, what is that? What did I write? I can't see it. Okay. It goes away. It's an arrow shape. And it works its way across. This is... It's very cool. Yes, sir. What's that? Yes, it's not the angry baby. He's disappeared. But... This is what I had for years, and I'm used to it, uh, but it's just part of the aging process. But I can't read a thing I've got here, so that's not good. Uh, a little bit more incongruency, dyssynchrony, how's that? <sighs> anyway, back to where I might have been, who knows. 
But the, the position is, is that trumpets will be the abduction of the bride by the bridegroom and that the feast day of atonement is going to be the great tribulation. They see that established and that's what they, they present. And therefore, that means that tabernacles is going to correspond to the millennial return of Christ, his kingship. So you see this exists. You see that he's going to have, um, he's going to do it this way. The bridegroom, he's going to be the bridegroom. That would be trumpets. So that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And then he's going to be the judge. Daniel 7 and 10. And then he will be the king. So they see bridegroom, judgeship, and kingship in these three. And that's three uh, positions that Christ occupies along with prophet. So that does, that makes a lot of sense. I want you to think about it. If this is true, and I, I think it has a lot of validity, bridegroom, judge, and king, then what was he on the first three? Or if you will, the first four. Obviously, when he ascends, he's who? He's high priest. When he dies, he's who? The prophets are always what? Slain. Okay, so you see prophet and high priest, but explain atonement and resurrection to me when you get a shot. There would be one. There would be something there, wouldn't there? We'll cover that next week. And you're, and all of you are more than familiar with this conventional uh, view. We've covered it here at Cliffside, beautiful downtown Cliffside, which is not beautiful. It's not downtown. Certainly not on a cliff. We've covered it a minimum of a hundred times. So today makes what? That's right, Dalmatian Day. It's 101. And I win a prize or a ribbon or a patch, which I've already got some of. Yay me, so much winning. Hopefully, y'all have made the association between the Sabbath of return and the bridegroom uh, returning to abduct his bride. I want that to be pounded in as Keir Rhymes with Deer accuses me of correctly. Pound that in. Make sure you get that if you have been asleep up to this point. That's Matthew 25, 6, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. That's the shout, the voice, the trumpet. No banjo, that's how I remember it. The bride of Christ then arises. That's Matthew 25. You see that parable of the virgins. And meets him in the air in the clouds, it says so in 416 of 1 Thessalonians. That is an opposition to the symbol of the wife, which is Israel. We have a symbol that is the bride and we have a symbol that is the wife. He treats the church as if she is a virgin bride. He, she, he treats Israel now as if she is a divorced, adulterous wife. Uh, nonetheless, uh, he, has not, he has not replaced Israel and he has not abandoned her. He makes that very clear. But the, the, the symbol of the wife of Israel does not meet him in the air or the clouds. It meets him on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 4, 14, 4 through 5. And Joel, see, we got Joel. Did I start with Joel? I did. And here it is, Joel 3, 14, 17. And they do that at the end of the, Arm, uh, the battle of Armageddon after the there's eight stages to Armageddon. And they, they find him, they, they mourn for him. But they actually get to him, if you will, at the end of the eight stages of the Battle of Armageddon. And many, many, many fail to note the distinction between the symbol of the bride and the symbol of the divorced wife, a divorced adulterous wife. They commingle them. And that is a mistake. 
If you want to think of it this way, if you want more confirmation that it's a mistake to turn these two entities into a single entity and commingle all the scriptures that are applicable to one. Now, that's and applicable to the other. Now, here is the truth about that. There are some scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, that do encompass both symbols. That's where the confusion came. But you need to know there's a distinction. There are two. There are two. You're going to see two in lots of places in the Bible and in your environment. There are two witnesses, aren't there, in the book of Revelation. I have the Moses-Elijah position, but nonetheless, there are two. And the church is a witness. And Israel is a witness. So again, I have two witnesses. One is willing, if you wish, not very effective. The other is not so willing and not very effective. But both testify of Christ. Both of them. It's pretty obvious how the church is doing it, if they're doing it correctly. They're proclaiming Christ to be God, to be Savior, to be the Creator, to be the physical manifestation of the triune Godhead, to be the second person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or Lord God, Angel of the Lord God, and the Spirit of the Lord God, whichever one you prefer. There's three distinct individuals, but they're the same. There's oneness. You can't figure that out, but you must adhere to the what the Bible says about them. So there's two witnesses here, the, the bride and the divorced adulterous wife. With that said, don't overlook the ten days and the seven days. I, I made the case of bridegroom, judge, and king. Now I'm going to take some shots at it. Because I have, I have the ten days of awe and I have the seven days of tabernacles. So here's the ten days. Here's the seven days. So... Trumpets and then ten days. That would be uh, that would be the judge if this is the if, if you accept this ten days as the tribulation. And then I have the king for seven days. Does that make sense? Because that's a problem, isn't it? I flipped my page again and I have no idea where I was. I found myself again, even though I can't see a single word on this page. I have absolutely been bluffing now for two pages. Hopefully I remembered some of what I was saying. Uh, that may not be clear. Clear ran, rhymes with, with deer. I assume that there's some lack of clarity in everything I say because she's right. Kier rhymes with deer has that correct. She's on to something. <coughs> I hope you recognize it would seem to be more so a fit if the ten days were here. And the seven days were here. If I reverse them. But they're not that way. I'm going to put them this way so you can see what I'm trying to say. But they're not that way. The ten days are in the ten days of awe and they end on Yom Kippur. They start with trumpets. The the seven days are over here with tabernacles. Well, Christ is going to rule as king for how long? A thousand years. That would seem to correspond with the seven. And the tribulation is going to be how long? Seven years. And that would seem to correspond with tabernacles. Let me put them back where they go. And that's not how it is. It's ten seven, not seven ten. So what does that mean? 
That would mean that you have to figure that out. The obvious of the obvious question, or the most obvious, why does the sixth day have ten days and the seventh feast day have seven days? You would think that both feast days would invert. Or if you prefer it this way, you can think of it this way. We're talking about Genesis chapters 6 through 8, which is the Noadic flood. This is Genesis 13, 13, which is the evil of Sodom, the incredible evil. This is also Genesis 18, 20, again, where he re-establishes the evil of Sodom. This is the destruction of Sodom and the taking out of Lot, Genesis 19.16 and Genesis 19.29. So what we're talking about here ultimately will become Noah and Lot. And that will help you figure out how to explain the ten and the seven. Noah was saved in the ark. Lot, Luke 17.26 through, through 32. That famous statement. As it was with Noah, in the days of Noah, so it shall be with Lot, likewise as it was also in the days of Lot. Noah is saved in the ark, doesn't die. Nothing dies in the ark 150 days. We covered that a few weeks ago. But was he was still nonetheless on the earth, wasn't he? He was in the judgment. He was in the tribulation, if you will. He's inside of it. And that is in contrast, and he was there for the entirety of the tribulation of the, uh, of the flood and the deluge. But, and that's in contrast to Lot, because Lot wasn't that way. Lot was taken by the hand and transported out of Sodom. He's removed from Sodom. He does not, he's not inside of Sodom when it is bombed by God. Noah is in the ark, but he is still inside the flood. So I have two different symbols here, don't I? And they correspond to who? Back we go to why you don't commingle the wife of Jehovah and the bride of Christ. Lot taken by the hand, transported out, as was his wife taken by the hand, and the two daughters taken by the hand. How many twos do you need before you stop getting rid of your twos? Noah and Lot, both protected, both saved, but the circumstances of the process nonetheless distinct. Again, I'm back to Israel and the church, trying to make this as obvious as I can. And listen, to repeat Mr. Fruchtenbaum's positions on this, he does it a little bit differently from me, but he influenced me tremendously because of the argument that he made was unassailable. And if you don't have any of his materials, then you are missing out on a valuable piece of information to help you understand your Old and New Testament. So they're different, but they with a distinction as opposed to the distinction without dissimilarity, as others are often quoted. By others, I mean no one. No one ever says that. Okay, that was fun, as I define fun, and contemporary, wasn't it? This has so far been a contemporary applicational, well, not applicational, but it's contemporary, it's today. Look at me, put contemporary stuff in, yay me, more prizes, more awards for me. Okay, so I'm going to put an end to that, as if anything is ever put an end to here at Cliffside, because nothing ever is. I'll bring up some of it next week. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go through what's happening 
in the first three and the fourth feast days and what Christ is doing, how he's applying it to himself so that you can have access to that, but try to figure it out. Lately, in case nobody has really noticed, and man, oh man, I'm waiting for this floater to get away. It's right here now, so I can hardly see this side, but on this side, I have black spots. This side, I have fuzzy things, but it's almost gone. If I stall a little bit, I can go back to being able to read the material. People say, do you read your material? Yes, I do. There it is. I write it. Word for word, the whole thing. I used to put, as you know, funny faces and little things trying to make people laugh and stay awake. Hoping I could, but I stopped doing that. That was too much work. Okay. If you haven't noticed, this reason I wrote a red "Kier rhymes with deer" is because I've been pouring concrete the last couple of Sundays. I've been tying number five rebar. I'm building forms. I'm out there doing that job that I've done so many times. That's a metaphor for laying down the foundation material, which will eventually resolve some of the mystery of the heart, the brain, and the mind, which is where we are. Heart, brain, mind. And you can say it any way you want. You can say it heart, mind, soul. Uh, You can even add the body. As long as you know that there are all of these issues with respect to uh, those three elements. It's the mystery of the heart, brain, mind, if you wish to think of it that way. And they're revealed in Scripture by the author who wrote the Scripture, who just so coincidentally happens to be the creator of the physical heart, the designer of the brain as well. And he's the one who gives the soul. And he's the one to whom the soul returns, Ecclesiastes 12:7. And he wrote and said why he has done what he has done with regard to the heart and the brain and the mind. And explained, uh, or if you wish, the dust and the soul. It's probably a, a better way to say it. He explains why he's done it and, and, and what, by what means he's doing it. Or if you want to think of it this way, what he purposes, his intention... What it reveals about him for doing what he does and knowing why he does it. So the point, yea, a second point. The point of everything, if you want to think of it that way, and by everything, I mean everything. And so he is telling you what the point of all of this is. Why he designed this thing. Now I've got a read, a, a, an elementary position here, remedial. Here it's a little bit more complicated, but it's not really why did he make the heart the way he did? There's a lot of questions about that. And he tells us in his Bible how he does it. That's why I brought up Delmar's letter. Because I'm going to find the heart as it is designed, as it's been revealed scientifically now. We have some understanding of it, a lot more than we used to. We have almost no understanding of the mind, other than philosophically. It still remains the mind-brain problem is still the greatest problem in neurology. But I can explain why there are four chambers or why there are two atriums, why there are two ventricles, what all of this does, why I have this blood exchanging structure, this removing of CO2 and and the, the reversing. How about this word? The reversing of the oxygen level and the CO2 level. 
I can find in the Bible where that's described, so I know why the heart is like this. And we'll get to that some of that in a minute. Or at least I, I know a little bit of why. So everything, he's going to, he tells us everything. And again, by everything, I mean everything. Everything is for the created, that's us, to know him, the creator, to believe what he says about himself, to be wise, to be thankful. That's why he has done all of this. So you can find him. Search for me, he says in the Bible. Well, you can search for him anywhere because everything testifies of him. The very rocks, as you know, testify, cry out, scream. Peanuts, George Washington Carver. I've always wanted somebody to start tearing into rocks to figure out what they're saying about Christ. And that's Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 14, and Psalm 50, 14. And that explains immediately Romans 1, 18 through 32. And the current, therefore, the current form of environmental politics. Because what's happening in environmental politics today? The Communist New Deal. Oh, sorry, I meant green. I made a mistake. I'm so sorry for confusing communism with environmentalism. I apologize profusely and sincerely. Maybe not so much. Sincerely is a relative term after all, isn't it? You see, what's happening in our environmental politics is this thinly disguised paganism of worshiping the creation instead of the one who made all things. They are substituting the created in the place of the creator. And anything that does that, all things that are not glorifying our creator, is filth. It's waste. It's vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Ecclesiastes 12.8. Ecclesiastes 3.19. In our country at this time, and in Europe, there is no greater example of pagan godlessness than this supposed worship of the earth, which has been revealed for at least my entire lifetime to be a communist totalitarian structure hidden, wrapped in the worship of a environment. We used to call it a watermelon, green on the outside, red on the inside. Communism is at the source of this. It is a way of changing this country from a Judeo-Christian country into an atheistic one. And it's going to be successful. Do not despair. These things must happen. Because we have him returning to abduct us. Don't be asleep. All of you should stay awake all day Saturday. The Sabbath return. Many of us stayed awake. Just I was awake all night last night, not because I wanted to be, but because I couldn't stop my heart from running away. Eventually that changed. <sighs> the green movement reeks of idolatry. I'll give you the easy example. God loves children, he says. He loves them. The green movement is rationalizing now in plain view the slaughter of millions and millions of children to save the planet from humanity, which is the absolute opposite of Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply. Now you have these children testifying in front of the United Nations so afraid that they're going to be killed 
if they don't stop carbon dioxide. Holy, what's the word I want? Holy um, crap, Batman. I mean, here's a problem. Carbon dioxide is pretty darn important to you. And I'll explain. If you don't know, you'll know. Before. Here's, what, here's what happened. is The green movement took the place of who? The church. Because the church, let's be honest, is filled with idiots. That's what's happened. And we all appreciate the idiots, and they'll all be saved. But they're going to be rebuked. The church did not put up a fight at all. It just rolled over and died because it's too busy singing the same song over and over and over again. No teaching, no preparing the young. There was nothing. The church just sat back and raked in money. And that's where now here we are. But that, don't despair, right? That's why we're in Joel, is because we're studying the seven church prophecies. Anybody remember the seven church prophecies? Well, that's where we're at. <laughs> but it's a, it's a profound and intense, pervasive wickedness on full display. You start killing children and you're doomed. So best it's best to pray for them. Is it the days of Lot? I mentioned in the pregame the Japanese are going to allow uh, hybrid human animal chimera embryos to be go to full term, develop so that they can harvest them. Is that the days of Lot? Noah? Both? I'm betting yes. And included in all of that is the investigation of the heart, the brain, and the mind. And I can see again. Yay! And that incorporates many wonderful things as I define wonderful. For example, here's a bunch of questions that are front and center in this debate. Why is entropy always increasing, the physicist asks. The scientific community finds this very mysterious. It's not mysterious at all because I can find in the Bible why entropy is always increasing. See, we know it as the entire creation groans, right? We know that it is part of the curse of the earth, the ground. I see you. Thank you. can't see the clock, but I can see your hand. The superior question is, is what or who can reverse the entropy? Who is the reaction, resurrection? The resurrection reverses what happens in Ecclesiastes. There's physical death. The body goes to dust. The soul goes to the, to the one who gave it. And then resurrection is the soul going back and the dust and the soul reuniting. It is a reversal. That reversal is very important. So who is it that, that reverses entropy? Well, John 11.25 says who reverses entropy. He says, I reverse entropy. Physicists are going to proclaim, and they do proclaim, that time must exist for consciousness to exist. They have time and authority over consciousness. When in fact the Bible says what? The inverse. Consciousness has authority over time. Time exists because there is an absolute consciousness that wished, desired, intended for time to exist. And entropy reveals time, which is why entropy is in this arena, in case you were wondering about that. You also will hear said that time cannot be zero. Really? Define zero. Here's a fun thing. Zero to the zero power equals what? Equals one. Get out your calculator. Explain that. Anything to the zero power is one. One to the zero power is one. 
Who did the zero power hit? Thank you. Okay. So you better define zero. I digress there, didn't I? It's not in the notes. It came out of eighth grade. If one defines zero as a full stopping of time, then time is certainly able to be zero for the one and only for the one, the absolute consciousness who willed time into existence. And we had that discussion a while back. To be fair, some physicists do not concede that time and space are the... I'm sorry, I said that backwards. Some physicists will concede that time and space are the framework for our existence to be revealed. And they are right about that. But most believe change and time are illusionary or unreal. That's Einstein's position, as Keir Rhymes with Deer pointed out. I like saying Keir Rhymes with Deer. Have you noticed that? So they'll say that time and change are illusions. They're not real while simultaneously proposing that consciousness cannot exist without entropy increasing. And never noticing that the two actually collide. And all of those and much more are resolved when you start talking about the heart, the brain and the mind. Which is why we are now, and by we I mean me, pursuing a comprehensive investigation of the physical heart of man. And the meaning of the heart of man as it's described by Jesus Christ who created it. I have to look at my time now. Okay, I'm doing a lot better than you said. As she groans. Last week we barely touched the statements of Christ on the heart, but even the brief, I hope cursory, shallow reading demonstrated the incredible implications about what he says about the heart. There's unanimity with regard to the heart in the biological sciences. They look at it and they say it's incredible, it's amazing, and it's unexplainable. And all of that is true if you don't approach it correctly. Eventually, our discussion is going to reach or lead to the neurocardiology, the heart-brain connectivity. And I asked last week as well, does the physical heart, can the physical heart be controlled by the mind? because it has neurological components to it. The brain can be controlled by the mind. Can the heart, the physical heart, also be controlled by the mind? That's my obvious question. Or if you want to think of it this way, does the mind and the heart communicate? Because the brain and the heart communicate and the neurological structures are identical in many regards. The brain absolutely communicates with the heart. This is without controversy. This is called afference and efference. That which comes from the heart, afference. That which comes down from the brain, efference. So the brain and the heart have been communicating while you've been sitting here listening to me. It's how they work. And I would say to you, they, I said last week, they used to believe that the brain absolutely dominated the heart. That is not true. No one thinks that anymore. The mind controls the brain, which led to the logical progression. Does the mind read the heart source communications? So, or if you want to think of it this way, how much does our consciousness interact with the heart? And why is it this way if this is indeed the design? Why did the one who made us with our brain and our heart describe the heart as he does? Uh, I don't have time to read them again, but Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 and Revelation 2, 23. He says the heart is desperately wicked. No one can know it. 
I am the only one who tests it. I'm the only one who can search it. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, Revelation 2, 23 are the same statement by the same person. But you have all of these others, Matthew 5, 8, 15, 1 through 3, 15, 7 through 20 of Matthew, Matthew 22, 37, Matthew 24, 48, Mark 8, 17, Luke 6, 45, John 14, 27, John 16, 6, John 16, 22. All of those are incredible examples of Christ describing the heart as if it is a thoughtful device. It's not just a device. It has reasoning capability, communicative capability. The one who made the very first human heart from the dust of the earth, Genesis 2-7, he who caused the very first heart beat in a human being, and now for a second here, we'll deviate. Consider the first beat of every heart. How does it happen? By that I mean, where is the blood? Does the heart beat without blood and then the blood is added? Or is the blood there and the heart beat with the blood still, not moving? What do you know about this, biologically? You should have an opinion. We know the, the heart beats before the brain. If the blood is not moving, how does the moving blood initiate? If the blood is moving, how is it moving? How does the blood move without the heart? What is this? Chickens and eggs. Why doesn't the church know it? Why doesn't the church care? Does the heart beat in an infant before the blood forms? The heart beats before the brain forms. I'm just saying that. If it does, why? If it doesn't, why? You just have thousands of questions. Either way, we'll deal with this next week. (coughs) Excuse me. Obviously, it's going to be important to establish the order of the cardiovascular system at its developmental stage, as well as its order, the cardiac cycle, as you know it as a fully grown human being. By fully grown, I mean 65. Which is why I asked the central question last Sunday, which was intentionally simplistic. More of a rhetorical question. When Jesus speaks of the heart as he does in this way of presenting it as being able to lie as a source of thought, being able to express itself, control. Is he aware that he, is he aware of its physical operation? Yes, duh. He is. Then why did he add this duality to the heart? Because he has. He has made it both physical and what? Non-physical. That's what his scripture is, what he says about the heart. It is physical and non-physical. He allots duality to the human heart. Material and, and mental. Why does he do that? Doesn't he know? Or does he know? You pick. Try to pick the Christ honoring position. Many churches won't. They'll say this. They'll say, Christ does not know what he's talking about here. We've proved otherwise. Well, we've proved otherwise of your otherwise now. Allow me to interject a quote from uh, J. Andrew Armour, MD, PhD, professor of neurocardiology at the University of California, Los Angeles, Neurocardiology Research Center of Excellence. Here's what he said. You have to watch his whole lecture. Good luck. So you have a computer in your heart, he said. 
that is somehow working out how every neuron should behave throughout your life. And it is sensing every part of your heart. How do you like that? Dr. Armour went on to describe the very powerful neurons that are in the heart. The heart is innervated, supplied with uh, nerves, with neurons. It's called the intrinsic cardiac automatic nervous system. There's also the extrinsic, extrinsic, I can't say it, intrinsic, extrinsic, got it, autonomic nervous system. In other words, there's the one that is intrinsic to the heart and there's the one that comes from the brain. Does that make sense? Hope it does. Obviously, the extrinsic autonomic nervous system is sourced and originates in the brain. And it consists of ganglia that you don't know anything about. That's okay. You will. I'll make you. Mm -hmm. Ganglia is a mass of nerve tissue, essentially, which contains neurons. Autonomic implies unconscious or automated. I know about the autonomic system because it wakes me up. And I know when it's firing my heart, it raises it to whatever it feels like. It thinks I need to go faster when I'm trying to sleep. But the intrinsic cardiac autonomic nervous system is uh, that neurological structure that is in the heart, the computer that uh, J. Andrew Armour quoted, or I quoted him saying. So this is pounding away at you, much to the delight of the sleeping cure rhymes with deer. The intrinsic cardiac autonomic nervous system. It's comprised of all kinds of things, but for today, uh, we're going to talk about the epicardial neural network, because I'm going to put it on my bad drawing here in a second. It's interconnected neurons and clusters of ganglia, and they're embedded in both the atria and both ventricles, both atria and both ventricles. And I became interested in this for obvious reasons on June the 4th, because it just so happens, because... Uh, autonomic ganglia of the epicardial surface of the heart, they've demonstrated their ability to cause what? Atrial fibrillation, heart arrhythmia. And so there's a bla- an ablation, it's called ganglionated plexiablation, and that's one of the things that I thought I would have. I did not have that. I had pulmonary vein ablation, primarily, and some atrial ablation. But I was hoping for ganglionated plexiablation, our vagus nerve. So I studied these as much as I could so that I could talk to my cardiologist about them. Which one are you going to do? Turns out he did circumferential on pulmonary veins and electrophysiology or electro, uh, uh, um, hot electro, electrical on the atrial areas. Electrofrequency, sorry. But uh, setting my personal motivations aside for today, I just want you to realize the heart has neurological capabilities. And the heart has its own electromagnetic field and it transmits it. Electromagnetic fields radiate. Go stand next to a 500,000 watt radio transmitter with light, uh, with fluorescent lights in your hands and see what happens. The heart demonstrates consciousness, Dr. Armour said. How do you like that? 
The heart has its own electrical conduction system. I'm going to do that in just a second. It supplies itself with blood through the cardiac sinus, which sends blood into the right atrium. In other words, there's a little third tiny opening here, so it gives blood to itself. This is the superior vena vena. I spell it this way so that I can pronounce it correctly. Vena cava. This is the inferior vena cava. This goes down to the body. This goes up into the brains, or the brain. In my case, brains. Plural. The upper arms. It supplies itself with blood, as I said. It's incredible. And we should expect it to be irreducible. It is irreducible. In other words, every aspect of it is perfect. Absolutely perfect. Anyone who thinks that this thing evolved is, is a complete idiot or a liar or a pagan or evil. There's your choices. Or dumb. Did I say dumb? I meant idiot. I'm getting old. Old people get angry now. And I'm so tired of tolerating evolutionary atheism and communism. If we had, if we had been able to attack it correctly, well, it's inevitable, isn't it? It's entropy, relentless entropy, both in, the, in, in human beings and in the environment. Some are going to uh, object to the left atrial appendage. There's an appendage here. They're going to say this is not perfect. Uh, I'm going to make the case that it is. I'm, gonna, I'm prepared to defend its inclusion and perfection. And yes, it's going to be necessary to evaluate other mammalian four-chamber hearts. Dogs and pigs and horses, for example, all have four-chamber hearts as well as the non-mammalian. And uh, to end for today, yay, ending for today. The end is near. I'll try to illustrate the electrical generation and conduction of the heart as best I can, which means I have to draw the heart again somewhat. But I already did because I knew that it was going to take me a long time. So I did it this way. The electrical schematic is far less complicated than the cardiovascular system or the blood circulation and the cardiac cycle. So this should be fun as I define fun. Okay. This is the SA node. This is what starts the uh, electrical circuitry. The sinoatrial node. This is the atrial ventricular node. The AV node. So what this guy does is he sends a signal to him. And, and it looks something like this. And then from there it goes down. There's a Brackman bundle that's hidden back in here. You can't see it, but it allows the signal to transfer over to the left atrial. So the right atrial fires, goes to the SA node, or to the AV node, that there's, there's a delay, and this guy sends this electrical signal this way. It's called the bundle of hiss. And there's some fibers down here. Uh, Perkinsey. I can never pronounce it right unless I read it. They're also electrified. So I have this, and this is really remediary. But that's essentially how it works. The SA node receives an electrical signal. Where does it come from? And it fires electrically. Why does it do it? Well, there's reasons why it's doing it, because it's going to try to exchange the CO 
the carbon dioxide with the oxygen. We have this reversing. Oh, reversing. Does that sound like resurrection? Because resurrection is reversing. It's the, it's the death reversing back to life. Or the inanimate reversing back to, into animate. So the heart has this reversal structure as well. It's amazing. The heart polarizes and depolarizes because of all of this electrical activity. That's reversing. That's ascension and dissension. He has put his scriptures in this device. It's what he has done. So I'm asking again, this is what starts it. And the reason it's starting it is because the right ventricle sends the, the deoxygenated blood into the lungs. How many lungs are there? Oh, there's two of them. And what do the lungs do at the capillary level? They reverse the CO2 levels and the O2 levels. And then they send the oxygen-aided blood into the left ventricle, or left atrial, through the pulmonary veins, which my pulmonary veins failed. They began to produce their own signals because they were uncooperative. And he had to destroy the areas around them to keep those signals from coming into the uh, left atrial. Atrium. Atrium means what? I've built a hundred atriums in my life. What does it mean? Entryway. The right entryway, the left entryway. And then there's the incredible vein, I'm sorry, the incredible valves in here that are one way making unidirectional flow of the blood. Because if the flood, I'm sorry, if the blood is not unidirectional, you die. Do you know how the blood gets out of your feet? I happen to know. Because the blood likes to pool down there when you have heart trouble. How does it get out of the feet and go up to the heart and not go back down to the feet? Because veins have what? They have valves. That's absolutely right. How many valves do you have in all of your veins? What's the difference between a vein and an artery? Artery starts with A. A way starts with A. So you know that the, when the artery is in position that the blood is going away from the heart. The vein is going towards the heart. So that's your electrical signal in a very, like I said, this is first grade. But what isn't first grade is how it works at this microscopic level. When you get down there and you see this depolarization and polarization I brought up a while back, you realize, okay, this is a ridiculous machine, except it's not a machine. It's a miracle. That's what it is. That's the mistake they make. So here's the basics of the electrical conduction order. There's delays in here. It has to delay. I can't just put the, I can't put the blood in here. It's got to, this has got to fire because this electrical system makes the heart do what? Contract. It reminds me of locomotive circuitry immediately. It's magnetic valve. So I, I polarize it. It contracts. I have to, that, that forces the blood up into the lungs. The lungs exchange the CO2 for the oxygen, send it back into the heart, which sends it through the aorta, which sends it into the body. So that has to be perfect. If it's imperfect, you end up with me. So how did it get designed? Who designed it? And it just gets more and more, as I said, there's polarization, there's depolarizations, there's repolarizations, just as there is resurrection, just as there is the body going to dust, the soul going to God, and then the reversing of that. 
uh, coronary arteries. In other words, I have arteries that are part of the heart itself. I have coronary veins as well. I have capillaries of, as I said, uh, oxygen CO2 exchange. I have venous return valves. And we haven't even started. Again, other than to say the heart is a miracle. And why the church doesn't proclaim that, I don't know. Okay, good morning to some of you. Or afternoon, I guess. It's going to get worse. I don't know what to tell you. 